Hey, everybody. It's Maureen. Um, Dan told me that I need to talk about my book. Um, and he was he was stern and beardy about it. So I just wanted to say uh, that my new book, uh, Truly Devious, comes out next Tuesday, January 16th, and that I'm going to be in a few cities to promote it. I'm going to be in Seattle at the University Bookstore on the 16th. I'm going to be at Tempe, in Tempe, Arizona in Changing at Changing Hands Bookstore on the 17th, and in Littleton, Colorado at the tattered cover on the 18th. And I'll have more information on this later in the episode because Dan will ask me about it. Until then, here's some says who. One, two, three, four. I'm a very stable genius. Genius. A very stable genius. I'm, um, went in with a lot of steam. Yep. Kind of fell apart there. Yeah, it didn't go. It didn't. It didn't last. It's okay though. It's kind of like our psyche at the start of 2018. Yeah, yeah. To the max. Welcome to Says Who, the podcast that isn't a podcast. It's a coping strategy. I'm Maureen Johnson. And I'm Dan Sinker. And this is our first episode of 2018. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. I hope you're taking it to the max. To the max. To the max. Uh, Happy New Year, Maureen. I was down in Philadelphia for 10 days. Uh, I, I recorded the last podcast. I guess it was on the 23rd of December when we both had ventured out into the crowds to do some shopping. I was recording that with just my headphone mic on a on on the bed in the guest room. And now I'm back in the closet. Yeah, back in the saddle. Back in the saddle. And to think of it, Dan, did we know about the wonder that was the fire and fury on the 23rd of December? We did not. We did no. not at all. The fire and because the fury that... was not a not a thing that anyone was paying attention to. Yeah, it's so exciting to sort of, you know, look back every two weeks and realize you lived in a different universe. Yeah, it was interesting because, like, that two-week window was real uneventful in the first week. Like, he was at Mar-a-Lago. He golfed nine days out of the 12 he was there, 11 he was there. Uh, And then he came back and, oh, just went from there. Well, Dan, since we have mentioned it, uh, we, Dan and I, have read The Fire and the Fury, so you don't have to. It's true. It's true. Before we get to the book, let's just give a quick timeline to catch people up. So this is a book by Michael Wolff, who's sort of a New York socialite journalisty guy he's not, written not beloved not, not beloved, at all man. beloved definitely the kind of person that everyone that you know exists in journalism has a bit of a like they get a little uh, fidgety when they describe him but you know he's i imagine him as wearing kind of like those kind of spatty fingerless Victorian gloves and if he comes up to you he goes hello like that or something yeah you know, he has a like, big in my mind, he and maybe it's just the last name, but he feels like someone from like Bonfire the Vanities, you know, like yeah. he's like yeah. us in at the at the right parties and, you know, sort of smarmy and all of that. But anyway, so he he's he is actually a regular columnist for New York Magazine and also works for The Hollywood Reporter, I guess. And anyway, the New York Magazine last about a week ago, January 3rd, dropped the first chapter of the book. Uh, that chapter was entitled Donald Trump didn't want to be president and is all about exactly that. And it kind of just exploded. (laughs) Like it was that day, January 3rd was like a twofer. You got people talking about Trump not wanting to be president. And you also got some quotes from the book from the guardian where Bannon is accusing, uh, Don Jr. of being treasonous for meeting with the Russians. So like, all hell broke loose uh, on the 3rd. And then on the 4th, what did Trump's crack legal team do, Maureen? They sent a cease and desist letter 
to Henry Holt, which is the publisher of the, of the book. And Henry Holt isn't a person. It's the name of the, of the publishing company. And uh, they responded by saying, and the, the cease and desist is, means like you have to stop. It, any, that's the thing is like anybody can send a cease and desist. Yeah. I could send you a cease and desist letter right now and say, stop being so beardy. You know, it's just. Yeah. It's an empty I, legal threat unless you are following. Like the, the whole idea of a cease and desist letter is that you are, you are hoping that you are going to scare the other person into doing whatever you're saying because they don't want to. They don't want to go to toe to toe with you in a lawsuit. So Henry Holt gets this letter and they say, oh, oh, oh yeah, really? Uh, well, then we won't publish the book next week. We'll publish it tomorrow, motherfuckers. <laughs> Which and they... is amazing. That was an yeah. amazing move. Oh, it's so rare that publishing ends up being like a a real key player in news or news gossip, Dan. And I'm telling you, it is an exciting time to be here. Um but they clearly hustled ass to get that book out there. I mean, they said it's the downloads will start at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. And it was in bookstores. Like, physical copies were available. It's Yeah, they would have already been shipped. Right. Like, so... they were in the back rooms. But, like, mm -hmm. as someone that appreciates logistics, there was I was logistic nerding out pretty heavily when it was like, wait, they're going to be in the books? I could go to the books? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, That's presumably awesome. they just lifted the embargo and right. said, you know, like they, go, yeah, go it ahead was a big enough them. book that they would have had large quantities of them in the back room anyway. But still, like that's a that's a that's a baller decision. All right, the book, Dan, the book. So we have been reading the, the book. book. We have. You finished. I am just inches away from being finished. I will admit I skipped some bits in the middle. Oh, I read every sentence. Like I didn't want to miss anything. And um it is like having okay, I have a couple reflections as a sort of yes. I'm pulling the microphone closer to me as if like I just want to get intimate, like just just really just get just drill down into what's happened. So it's like it's it's like all of two first of all it's like having all of 2017 flashed in front of your eyes again yeah it's like it's like groundhog daying the worst year of your life yeah it, you really do kind of like oh yeah and that and that and that and that um what it you okay it's hard to know what to say about <laughs> because it it feels like and this is not this is a little facetious, but anybody could have written this because it is sort of like the what I did on my summer vacation of of books. Right. It 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 there are there are huge sections of it, especially the first third, I would say, that don't feel reported as much as they feel assembled. Yeah. You know, like there is a lot of this that does not scream original reporting to me. Like, I feel like there are whole scenes that I read that are just him kind of reporting by putting together uh, a couple of, like, Maggie Haberman, like, daily entries and, like, a Politico piece and uh, something off, like, The Hill and then being like, this is what happened this day, which, like... There's something to be said for that, but it also is like all of this. There, there was so little in the book that I felt was truly new to me. And yet, what's incredible about it is that it's the first person who's come along, and why it's selling so much, I guess, is it's because the first person who's come along with any kind of potential answer to what the hell is going on. Well, I mean, I don't even know if it's an answer, right? But it's just a, like, here it is. Like, that's what's so interesting to me about this. And, and how you said, like, it feels like almost anyone could have written this is, like, it is, it is just a chronological telling of the news reports that we got every day, you know? I mean, it's like... It's like somebody on Twitter actually said to me when I said, you know, I just feel like this is sort of an assembled thing. They said, it's like it's like we're looking at a smoking gun, but we all saw the shooting in broad daylight. You know, like, like yeah. 
we lived through this. We know this. There was not a lot that it was like, I didn't know that. It's just like, but there is also something to be said for actually just putting it all in one place and fucking being the first to write it all down, you know? And that, But it does give, so there are a lot of asides and things that give you the kind of, for example, it describes Kelly uh, Kellyanne Conway as being someone who, while she's willing to throw herself on every bomb and double down uh, as thinking the president is a lunatic and rolls her eyes when talking about him. Okay, let's start at the beginning. The first chapter is basically a setup of what I really liked was that he made this comparison to the producers, the musical, the producers, where he's like... Basically, all of these people had signed up for something that was not supposed to work, just like they do in the producers, where they're like, we'll make a musical called Springtime for Hitler that no one will want to, that no one, it will never actually back. So we'll get everyone to give us 100% funding and we won't have to pay anything, anything back. And then it works out. And every single one of these people signed up for this dumb, doomed campaign with the idea that they would mostly be getting other things out of it, usually like yeah. cable news jobs or Trump himself, like probably a, like a media network. And they would all just do this. It would fail and they would all spin it into something else and everyone would go home happy and then they win and they're all fucked. And that's when the story takes off. That's the inciting incident. Yeah. They win. They're yep. all fucked and they actually have to do this terrifying job. Yeah. Which nobody... There's not a single person is qualified to even begin the process. And in terrifying detail, you kind of get the just how unprepared they were. Yeah. And the kind of Iago of the piece, you know, because lots of comparisons to Shakespeare are made is Steve Bannon. He looms through the whole book I because potentially and the reason now that he is under so much fire is he seems to be the primary source. Oh, without a Aside doubt. Aside from this uh, is... Kate Walsh, who seems Katie Walsh, who seems to be in it quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. Those. I mean, that's the other interesting thing to me about the book is like it's real clear who really talked to this dude and who didn't talk as much. You know, like, and Bannon was Bannon was so happy to just have a guy that he could say whatever the fuck he wanted to, and that guy was going to write it down. And how did he not think that was not going to come back and bite him in the ass? He seems like a very angry man. He comes across as he's compared to Rasputin at points. I started personally to start thinking of him as Gargamel. Um, like, he, <laughs> he, like his main distinction is that he's read books. Like, that seems to be their, like... Yeah, uh, that's true. Like, they're, like, unlike pretty much anybody except for Jared, who is given a book to read and and slunks off to to read it, um, he seems to be the only person who's read anything. Um, Yeah. So the next sort of middle part turns into sort of um, a spy versus spy kind of story of Bannon and Kushner... Just trying and Priebus and Priebus trying to send each other like bombs in disguise and like just hiding behind walls while anvils drop on the other. And then somehow like it just seems like they just keep trying to kill each other in cartoon fashion. I mean, there's such an interesting thing and especially kind of coming off of this weekend of of Trump's very stable genius tweet Mm -hmm. where you like. That was so fresh in my head when I kind of speed read the book on Sunday was like every single person in this book thinks they are the very stable genius. You uh, oh, know? and they like, all seem to say it. They're like, I'm the only person that knows what's, what yeah. to do. Like every single person in this book. And there is something really interesting about the weirdly shifting point of view within the book. Like Wolf does not... With the exception of the fact that clearly he he likes Bannon, probably because Bannon gives him the most access, so he likes him. But, like, there's a fairly shifting POV throughout the book. And, like, so everyone gets to have that moment of being like, I am the genius. All of these people are idiots. Watch me work my magic. You know? And then 
whatever they try, you know, the fucking they walk into the pit that they had just you know dug for someone else to walk into and the anvil falls on top of them and then it's done but like that is like every single person in this book thinks that they are like machiavelli and they are all like <laughs> machiavelli's drunk cousin they're all bluths like it really really highlights yeah. again the kind of arrested development feel of this all of these people thinking they're competent and they often say like i have to do this cuz i'm the only person who knows what's going on yeah. Um, they all play themselves and it's astonishing. Well, I wouldn't even say some of them all play themselves because they're still in play, place. But both you pointed out that one of the highlights of the book, it comes about 85% of the way in where Bannon is in his office and in the background. So he's he's just kind of talking and he's talking he's just riffing and he is riffing. and so presumably the wolf is, must be sitting somewhere in the room because he's don't you think like because he seems to be just quoting and he's talking he's sort of doing stage management or he's doing kind of stage directions like he's describing yeah. that this other guy is putting their chinese food out and bannon is just talking Nonstop, just pages and pages of block quotes. <laughs> it's something. It is something. Yeah, like it's it's oh. incredible. It's he's and this at this moment in the in the narrative. This is when the Trump Junior meeting with the Russians in Trump Tower has just dropped. Like everything's starting to crumble, and uh, this is also when Scaramucci is like right about to be hired. Yeah, so that's what's happening off stage. Is that you know that Scaramucci is about to get hired, and Bannon is getting phone calls throughout this rant where he is being told by people that Scaramucci is about to be hired. And first time he's like, yeah, fuck you, dude. Like, do you think you can prank me? And then he gets another phone call and he's like, what's happening? <laughs> what's happening? Yeah. You've got to be shitting me. So so six, six or seven pages into this rant, like this really goes on for a really long it is time. remarkable how long it goes on. So they start to talk about Jared Kushner's father. And how like Trump and how Trump has just set himself up to be screwed over by the FBI. Charlie Kushner said Bannon, smacking his head again in additional disbelief. He's going crazy because they're going to get down deep in his shit about how he's financed everything. The rabbis with the diamonds and all the shit coming out of Israel and all these guys coming out of Eastern Europe and these Russian guys and the guys in Pakistan. And he's frozen on 666 Fifth Avenue. And when it goes under next year, the whole thing's cross collateralized. He's wiped. He's gone. He's done. It's over. It's toast. And he puts his head in his hands for a moment and he looks up again. I'm pretty good at coming up with solutions. I came up with a solution for his broke dick campaign in about a day. But I don't see this. I don't see a plan for getting through. Now I gave him a plan. I say, you seal the Oval Office. You send those two kids home. You get rid of Hope. All these deadbeats. You listen to your legal team, Kaskowitz and Mark Down and Jay Seclo and Mark Corallo and all these professionals who've done this many times. You listen to these guys and you never talk about this stuff again and you conduct yourself as a commander in chief and then you can be president for eight years. But if you you don't you're not simple but he's the president he gets a choice and he's clearly choosing to go down another path and you can't stop him the guy is going to call his own plays and then he gets another call about scaramucci and he starts going no way no fucking way no fucking way and he gets off the phone and he says jesus scaramucci i can't even respond to this it's kafkaesque jared and ivanka needed someone to represent their shit it's madness. He'll be on that podium for two days and he'll be so chopped up he'll bleed out over everywhere. He'll literally blow up in a week. This is why I don't take this stuff seriously. Hiring Scaramucci? He's not qualified to do anything. He runs a fund of funds. Do you know what a fund of fund is? It's not a fund. Dude, it's sick. We look like buffoons. To be fair, he did call it. it he he totally called it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. It's Oh, See, the thing God. is that Bennett's evil, but he's not necessarily wrong. Yeah, but he's also not all that smart. No. Like, why is he saying all of this no. in front of a reporter? Be like, Because he is like a Shakespeare <sighs> villain who's like always explaining to the audience what evil he's about to do. But like, yeah. he kind of like, he's it's amazing. 
So in this same rant is is what today, just this very day that we are recording this, which is the, the 9th of January, uh, is when he finally caught shit. Because the beginning of this rant is when he's talking about the um, about the meeting with Russians in Trump Tower. And it's where he says this was treasonous. Right. Mm-hmm. And that got picked up by the press, but he just sort of unwinds the entire thing. My, my personal favorite quote of the entire, of the entire thing is he's talking about who Mueller is hiring and he, uh, he's, he is hiring, uh, a money laundering guy. Um, a guy named Weissman. I don't see his first name on the page that I'm looking at. But Mueller had recently hired Weissman, a high-powered Washington lawyer who headed the Department of Justice Criminal Fraud Division. He says, you've got the LeBron James of money laundering investigations on you, Jarvanka. And then he pauses and he says, my asshole just got so tight. This is the rant. Like, he knows he is in front of a journalist. And... And yet he thinks that he is giving like this is a hero's story, right? Like he is like, this is all going to go down and the book is going to come out. And this soliloquy is going to be everyone is going to just say, like, look at him. Look at how right he was. Yet yesterday he attempted to back up uh, like roll back on these quotes and say specifically the treasonous thing was not about Don Jr., but instead about um, about Manafort only because Manafort should have known better and Don Jr. is just a kid, even though he's like 39 years old. Um, and then today, it turns out he is now out of Breitbart due to this whole section um, because uh, Rebecca Mercer, the kind of the money the shadowy money behind Trump's campaign, behind Breitbart, behind most of the kind of racist alt-right has, she pulled her funding for him. And uh, so he is now, he is now out because of, because of this. And it's just like, it's so beautiful because this guy sets himself up to be just Machiavelli and to be the, the guy who knew it all. And in the process, like he's holding the grenade in his hand and it just, goes off it's amazing there are many high illusions made like he's 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 compared to cromwell at points he's compared like there's a lot of shakespeare references there's cromwell he's like this is what it was like in the court of the Tudors, and i'm like it wasn't what were the things that jumped out to you because a lot of the things other than that section the things that jumped out to me were like weird asides that i had never read before um much more than like major plot points trump really just seems like a like a doofus the that's the major kind of impression you get from him is that he's wandering sort of like mr magoo throughout this whole and just he he does come off stranger than even those of us that really look closely at his strangeness like one of the weird ones was there's a detail from when early on in moving into the the residence at the White House where he refuses to let the White House cleaning staff touch his sheets. Oh, yeah. He strips his own bed. Like, he's like, what? And that, in fact, yeah, he strips his own bed and he'll leave it for them, but they can't remake the bed. And at one point he yells at them because he's like, if I leave a shirt on the floor, I want that shirt on the floor. Like, he is, that is a strange little tick little bit of color within early on in the book that it's just like oh okay we're not just talking about a guy that watches three tvs and eats a cheeseburger in bed which is also a detail that i loved in the book but like he won't let people touch his sheets and he we of course course look for the food um there's another thing where he's sitting around having a meeting with a bunch of people, and in the middle of it, he's just chowing down on a pint of haagen vanilla. And I was thinking to myself, who the hell eats a pint of ice cream in the middle of a meeting? Like, that is yeah. something you do, if you are me, alone when you think no one is looking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hovering. By the fr- so you could stick it back in real fast because you certainly don't go through the whole thing. You kind of take it out and go, oh, no, 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 and you, uh, just, you, I must not touch it again. 
Um, but he seems to have just taken it out, just sitting there, <laughs> sitting there with a big old pint of ice cream, talking to reporters, talking to his staff. I don't know why that struck me so much, but it seemed perfect. Yeah, he. There's a there's a level of shamelessness that that really comes across, you know, in terms of just like he will do whatever. Like there's so much in the book that are like because, again, the like shifting point of view, like you'll be hanging out in a Jared section for a while and then like in will lumber Trump to insult Jared for, you know, for two paragraphs or you'll be in the Priebus section and he'll just like rip Priebus apart. And like he just. He does not give a fuck. Like, if he is in a bad mood and you are in his way, he will just let you know. Yeah. In no uncertain terms. Yeah, no one is spared. Um, You know, even the person he's nicest to, which seems to be Hope Hicks, and she's upset about her, the guy she's basically been sleeping with is is in trouble. And she's like, what am I, what's he going to do? And Trump's like, why are you worried about him? You're the best piece of tail he's ever going to get. Like... Yeah, <laughs> as a as a way of being nice. Um, so I guess, Jan, what do you think the book means? I mean, I really, f- I, 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 I feel very much that it it doesn't mean a lot, honestly. Like it is. We are living in a world where we know the emperor wears no clothes, where every day the emperor is more than happy to walk around with his dick hanging out. And this is a book that is like, did you know the emperor is naked? Here is a year of him having no clothing on, you know, and it's like, like I was really expecting for the for the for the reception that it got for the controversy that it has that it has created, it's like, this book is telling me the things that I already pretty much knew. Like, and so what does it mean? Like, it is, it is a chronology of the time. It is, it is a, a stark, if not somewhat ethically questionable, like, rendition of that time. It certainly lends some clarity to moments of, a little bit of ambiguity about who was pulling what strings or what was the decision there. But like, ultimately it is just a record of the, year. it definitely draws a, I think it draws pictures of the characters of the people involved a little more clearly. Um, and if, again, if it's, you know, if it's to be believed like Sean Spicer, who seemed so idiotic, the things he had to say, you do get the impression that he was extremely sad to have to say them. Well, I mean, that's the other part of it. And and I guess that's maybe what's interesting for the historical record is how each person wants to portray themselves within all of this. You know, like there is so much there's so many there's so many idiots trying to save face within this. Right. Like that they are thinking they like again they're all thinking they're playing 3D chess so they're like okay well i'm going to tell this guy so when this book comes out and i'm out there's this moment of reflection that i suddenly look like oh you know Sean Spicer looks like oh well at least he felt bad about saying right. all that dumb shit you know like he knew he was saying that to him or like you know there's wolf kind of not wolf there's there's bannon like super building himself up because he thinks when the book comes out he's going to be like the dark lord you know um like there's so much self mythology within the book, and that is actually sort of interesting if you read it as that. You know the scene in a murder mystery where it's all laid out how it happened, and then like, and then you came across, and then you shot, but then someone dropped a handkerchief, and uh, that's how we knew that the that the that the ostrich was involved. And so, I read a lot of murder mysteries where you know there's always the the scene where it's this is what happened, and it feels like he actually explains how the murders happened in a bunch of this. Mm. Like that's what a lot of those scenes yeah. feel like to me. Like, well, here's cause then he's like, cause he actually calls a bunch of it. He's like, it's going to be about money laundering. It's going to be about Deutsche Bank. It's going to be about, you know, and all of these people are going to go down because they're, they're all up to their, their necks in so much stuff. 
And then they're all like you sort of I enjoyed just the all of these people just punching each other. Just not, it's so cartoonish and they're all trying to lawyer up and like backstab each other and front stab each other where and then you imagine that Wolf is sitting there just literally sort of dressed like a potted plant by because he's like holding a potted plant on his lap and nobody notices him there and <laughs> it's it's just it's very wily coyote yeah i mean it's it's interesting because there is so much that is kind of like questionable about the way it all came together or like what the facts are or everything like that but like at the end of the day it feels like the book that we deserved you know like these people are idiots it was sort of written by an idiot you know like it's this is the best we can hope for coming out of the just bullshit that this is is just like sort of a bullshitty book that reinforces a lot of what we know but does it really entertainingly yeah that seems fair did you enjoy it dan like would you recommend it I read it before mm-hmm. bed two nights in a row, and I did not sleep well either No, night. it's not good for that. It's not good no. for your sleep. Because it is like it is like you are you are choosing to relive a nightmare. Like, even for the entertaining moments, you still then back up. Like, I had to skip parts of the healthcare chapter because it just was making me so just stressed out. You know, like they're like it is still that like for a spy versus spies. It is like they are still conspiring to fucking ruin America. (laughs) Like like they are they are still doing the things that they did in 2017. And like and so that that makes it hard to be like, hey, do you want to torture yourself? Go pick up this book. But like it also is the record of the time and it's certainly not dry. (laughs) Like it's a no, it's, a it's quick very read. court drama. Yeah. It's like it's like the show Versailles or something, you know. Yeah. Except he knows how to tell a fucking story. Yeah. Recommended. <laughs> Good chunk. It's our big stamp that we put on it. Stamp of somewhat approval. And that's the Says Who Book Club. Ha, ah, Maureen, the book is awesome. But you know what else is awesome? I, a lot of things are, but I want you to tell me. Food. Oh, you're so right. And Trump and food. Oh. In the end, our analysis of his food will will be just like Bannon. We'll be like, then what you find out is that the hamburgers and the hamburgers are sick, and then the meatloaf, the meatloaf, and that's the ketchup. The ketchup. You see the ketchup. It finds the meatloaf and the hamburger. You put it together, and you see that the leaky thing is that it's the ketchup. It's the ketchup that. We are, yeah. Yeah. Where's our Michael Wolf? Well, before this book dropped, we were hot on the trail of Trump and food. And then an article dropped in mid-December called I Lived Like Trump for a Day and It Almost Killed Me by Eve Pizer writing for Vice News. And both of us were like, we need to have this author on the show. We need to talk to a person that attempted to eat two Big Macs and two filet of fish and 12 Diet Cokes and a chocolate shake all in one day. And uh, uh, we did. We sat down with Eve and we got deep into the food of Donald Trump. very bravely decided to spend a day living the Trump lifestyle. And first of all, it's such a beautiful and elegant idea. How did you decide to do this? 
Um, I, my editor assigned it to me. He has been trying to get me to do some more experiential pieces. And when the New York Times article came out that sort of outlined his average day, um, he asked if I wanted to emulate it. And I immediately said yes, um, because of the similarities I saw between myself and Trump, like Trump drinks way too much caffeine. So do I. Trump doesn't drink alcohol. Neither do I. And Trump loves McDonald's. And I honestly do, too. Um, but and, and also Trump loves Twitter. And so do I. Uh, but I found that like the the differences are in the details and that it, it really was difficult to spend the day as Trump. Firstly, because um, watching Fox News and CNN is like really boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure it's more fun for him because he gets to see his name on TV. Um, right, and it's all about him. Right. But it was it was just like, you know, after a couple minutes of Fox and Friends just being absurdly wrong about everything, it gets old. And then I was like trying to figure out like what to tweet to make people mad at me because being Trump is like feeling like everybody's out to get you all the time. But it was harder to force it. Like I was like, I want I want people to authentically be mad at me. I don't just want to be saying inflammatory things that I don't believe. Mm -hmm. Um, So I tried like having a couple feuds and saying some unpopular opinions, but nobody like really bit until I angered the subsection of like extreme leftists who were who like jump on me whenever I say anything that's not woke enough for them. I, I tweeted something really mild about how I disagree when people say that liberals um, hate socialists more than fascists. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't think that's right. I think that's a little dramatic. And then I had all these people telling me like, oh, Eve's, Eve, you've become a centrist now. Wow, guess you sold out. And I was like, okay, I, I'm feeling the hate. I should like I'm feeling under attack. Um, and so by the time I like sat down for my McDonald's meal where I ordered what Trump ordered, I was I was trying to like get in that mindset. Um, and his McDonald's order was like by far the grossest part of my day. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. So he eats. Two Big Macs and two filet fish without the bun. Can I, can I just clarify for one second here? Because uh, I just want to get the timeline right. So you had to wake up at about 4, uh, 5.30 in the morning? Yeah. Okay. 5.30 in the morning for Fox and Friends. And then I, was, I, was, I put on a robe because Trump is known to wear a robe. Oh, I was just reading um, the part and- in the book where he, he completely flips out because he thinks – people think he's a robe wearing guy. So that's like a yeah. whole thing. That's a very upsetting thing for him. <laughs> I mean, that's like one of his more relatable qualities. Wearing a robe is great. I love robes. Great. They're great. Um so yeah, so I woke up at I was so I was like super tired all day cuz I woke up so early to watch Fox and Friends. Um and it's also like that early in the morning is like a lonely time to be awake because nobody else is and the sun hasn't risen yet. Um, and so I, by the afternoon, I, um, got some McDonald's, uh, and so. Is this midday? So yeah, midday I get the McDonald's. Mm -hmm. I like, I don't know what he eats for breakfast. So I just made myself some eggs, but that probably wasn't very Trumpian to cook for yourself. But the McDonald's was like something that. It's one of his bad habits that I actually, like, couldn't relate to because if you've ever had a Big Mac and removed the bun, you understand why it is so important for a Big Mac to have three pieces of bread in it. So this is a detail of Trump's eating, and and we have we have gone in deep dives of Trump's eating on, on Says Who before, and I don't think I ever 
saw reference to the bun list before. Maybe I've been asleep at the wheel in the descriptions, but where did you pick up on the bun list part? Corey Lewandowski said it while he was promoting his new book. Whoa. This is a bombshell. This is is a big one. (laughs) Yeah. So I think he was sort of trying to say it as like, as a... an excuse for like, oh, but Trump is like trying to stay healthy, so he takes out the bond. Sure, it's paleo. <laughs> yeah. Got it. But like, I thought, I've never, I had, it was the first time I tried a filet o fish, mm-hmm. and like, with the bun, without the bun, it's, it's still a gross sandwich, but it's like not super notably gross. But, like, I have enjoyed many Big Macs with the bun. But without the bun, it totally changed the texture of the sandwich. It just I was just eating these, like, two, like, gross McDonald's patties that were drenched in sauce and mm. little pieces of lettuce. And the texture was, like, mealy. And oh. it, it was really difficult to eat. I don't know how you how or why you would elect to eat something like that especially when yeah it's mcdonald's is like engineered to be delicious that's the whole thing like they figured out whatever horrible things to put in the food that make it addictive so to make mcdonald's gross is a true accomplishment that only the president could do i think and and you're drinking a, a milkshake with this Yes, which was the highlight of my meal. Mm-hmm. The McDonald's chocolate milkshake is a totally adequate milkshake. I couldn't, I didn't have any complaints about that. I think that that probably, I, I, that was the only part of the meal I finished. <laughs> How many sandwiches did you get through? I got through like a half sandwich probably. I, I really like, I was already in so much pain because I was tired and like antsy and like look looking at the internet too much and I was like I cannot every time I I had to do something to like be Trump I would all the uh, the Trumpian part of my mind would push back and say isn't like being Trump really about sort of doing whatever the fuck I want to do and not caring about like what I should be doing. And I guess you were having to have a like a diet coke every hour? Yeah. The diet the diet yeah, coke how many, I, how many diet cokes did you get through? I got through four and a half diet cokes. Oh, that's not nearly which, enough. Like, it was totally not enough. I I honestly like I I enjoyed Diet Coke occasionally before I did this, but having to drink that many, I like started feeling just like incredibly sick and dehydrated. And I, I like, I don't know how anybody could make it through a dozen. I think had I been in like a Diet Coke phase of my life, which I occasionally get into, I could have done like seven. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's like really insane. I, I, I thought a lot about like, um, like once I went to an AA meeting and I, there was like an alcoholic talking about how when he first tried to quit drinking, he brought a 12 pack of Sprite to a party to see if he could get through it. Like, cause he used to be able to get through a 12 pack of beer and he got through like two Sprites and then couldn't do it anymore. It sort of made him realize like how much he was drinking. Um, and I just kept on thinking of that anecdote as I tried to get through the 12 pack of Diet Coke, because when I think like drinking things in mass quantities might only work for alcohol or water, but like definitely not Diet Coke. I, my father is a, is a similar age and he basically lives the Trump diet. Like, honestly, he, he only drinks Coke Zero and he kind of eats the same foods um, with a kind of weird erratic. And I, he is, it doesn't, it, it doesn't make you look well. I can say that like he looks a little <laughs> vitamin deficient frequently. Um, yeah. And one of the words that really stood out in your article was that you just felt bloated. And, and um, yeah, I was like, yeah, it just probably feels like real gassy all day. Yeah. My stomach was like tearing itself apart. Mm. Um, but definitely I would say that like the highlight of my day as Trump was when I went golfing or I went to play mini golf. 
um, because it was winter in New York. That's my one of my favorite things that you did was be like, well, how can I how can I like approximate the golf moment? That was in, very inspired. Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Yeah, it's like it was, you know, after a day of McDonald's and Diet Coke and trying to get people to be mad at me on the Internet, it was really relaxing. I brought one of my close friends along. We caught up. It was it was very nice. I I mean, one of my beliefs about Trump is that we should all like lay off him for golfing too much because we should want him anywhere but the Oval Office. Like he's a horrible president. Why would we want him to work harder at it? And if golf makes him happy and distracts him from doing bad shit, then like golf away, man. That's a good point. I mean, he but certainly when he's is he really golfing or is he just driving around in a golf cart? Because it looks like mostly he's driving around in a golf cart, like onto places where he's not supposed to. And I don't know. I don't know how to play, I don't yeah. know how to play golf. So, I mean, I don't either. I think that something that's interesting, considering how much Trump likes to be photographed, is he really hasn't been photographed much playing golf since he became president. Yeah. Like, he's really touchy about that. So I so I think it's a big mystery what happens on all those golf trips. It's just, it's it's one of those, it's also one of those things that seems to be like a cartoon representation of being a rich businessman like he just does the stuff that's like you wear this and you do this and you eat steak and you you know just it, it's he's very kind of uh that i mean this is something that is mentioned in the book is that he has this kind of idea in his head of what a 1950s businessman looks like and that is his cosplay like that's his you know that's his that's what he does. Like maybe if he likes this, he would, or he convinced himself that he liked it. Like this is his lifestyle. This is the stuff you're supposed to do. So, I'm glad that you got to have that fun though, because it sounds like the rest of the day you were sitting there watching TV, which is, I guess, not among other things, hypnotically repetitive. Yeah, I mean. I think that if I were to do another day as Trump, but like substitute all the things he likes with like similar things I like, mm -hmm. like I'd probably be watching the Food Network all day instead of Fox News. I think that I could have a really happy day because it's just like all about laziness. And I relate to that. I love being lazy um, and like <laughs> saying whatever I want. I love doing that too. But trying to... but. It seems like the issue is with, like, what he actually likes. Like, somebody should change the channel and put on the Food Network for him because it could open up a whole new world. Was there a kind of point? Did you feel like it was for you more the food or the tea? Like, what really kind of uh, irritated your soul more? I, how bored I was. Mm -hmm. Like, I... I mean, like, just me doing my job in a normal way is far more interesting than, like, sitting around. I think, like, it made me realize how reactionary Trump is. Trump just sits around and, like, waits to react to things. And that, I mean, for me, obviously, my reactions are a lot less strong because, like, people aren't talking about me on TV. But, like, that's such a boring life as a reactionary. Like, I wasn't... Aside from, like, leaving my house to go to golf and, like, making a McDonald's order, like, those were my only two activities of the day. And then I, my, like, mandate was basically react for the rest of it, which is crazy to me. And hard to keep up. That's a button you have to keep hitting and hitting and hitting and hitting. And Yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm, like, emotional enough uh, to, to even, like, do a good Trump, but... It's it, it's also just tiring. Like, you just stop caring, you know? Like, I'm watching Fox News as somebody who's, like, super progressive. Like, theoretically, I should be getting, like, outraged about what they're saying. But it's just, like, all—it just became—it's just noise. It didn't matter to me. I just wanted it to, like—I just wanted—wished I could turn off the TV. And yet you couldn't. Yes. 
And he has multiple TVs. He has three in the bedroom. He's got them multiple ones all over in the in the room where he has his snack. I mean, you're just surrounded by TVs all the time, just playing and playing and playing. Right. I mean, I actually have three TVs in my apartment because just because like my boyfriend and I moved in with each other, we each had a TV and then he got another one from work. So like I love having TVs all like around me all the time on, but I never watch cable news is the other thing. I went to Graceland, uh, which is everybody probably knows it's Elvis's house, and the and it's an astonishing, astonishing place to tour, and it's for so many reasons. But the room that always sticks with me is his kind of crash pad living room, and this is from the seventies when kind of TVs were a gigantic and huge pieces of furniture, and having really more than one was bananas. But he had them a bunch of them mounted in the wall. And so he could watch all of these TVs at once on different stations. And that seemed to be, of the many things in that, in that house, a, one, of the, one of the signs of a mind that was unwell. And the images of all of these televisions all around him all the time seemed to be definitely one of the signifiers of, of, his, uh, of, a, of, a, of a psyche in pain. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, and I can, like, relate to this from my own experiences with, like, depression and television, that TV really is one of the few escapes that can really capture your mind wholly and make it so you don't have to think Mm. about, what, like, your demons and what's haunting you. So it really doesn't surprise me that both Elvis and Trump um, are big TV guys. I mean, that's the thing that's interesting to me. And I think one of the things that I really like about your article is that, you know, you come out and say, like, I really like McDonald's. In fact, I like it enough that I have, like, a cute nickname for it. And, like, when the Big Mac order thing came out to me, like, I flashed back to this past summer when my dad was dying and then died and like in driving out to where he lives, like I stopped almost every day at McDonald's and got a Big Mac and it was just like eating sadness, you know? And like, um, and you know, the idea of kind of TV is a way of kind of shutting off, um, you know, during depression, things like that. Like all of the things that he does, I guess with the exception of golf, um, like, those aren't necessarily things you do when you're feeling great about yourself or the world, yeah. you know? I mean, and like, to to add on to that, the other thing that you do when you're not feeling great about yourself or the world is, like, is tweeting and looking at Twitter obsessively. Yeah. Because, like, I, I felt like I was, I was really involved in Twitter that day, and I'm, like, totally addicted to Twitter and on it too much in general. But it was... Twitter is just like you're waiting for a reaction. And especially like, you know, I have like 70,000 something followers. Trump obviously has a lot more than that. But even when like with my amount of followers, I could theoretically just be refreshing my notifications tab forever. And I'll always have like a new one pop up. Mm. And so like that is like another thing that is just like a total distraction from yourself and your mind and what's going on with you. This is this is coming a little too close to home for me. <laughs> so that one burned. I felt it sizzle. My soul. Um, I mean, I'm 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 curious about what this exercise has done since, in terms of the way you've kind of consumed Trump news or written about Trump. Like, has it actually kind of changed the way you think about how he exists in the world? I don't know if it's changed the way I think about how Trump exists. I think that it's sort of, in a sense, like made me understand like how people think Trump is an everyman. And it's like because he's like depressed and doesn't want to deal with his bad habits just like you. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I wish I could say like and and after I was Trump for a day, I stopped eating McDonald's regularly and I only tweet once a day, but I I still indulge in my bad habits, probably for similar reasons that Trump does. 
That that was actually going to be one of my questions. I remember back when I was vegetarian, I went on a large road trip with my then girlfriend, now wife. Uh, we had to eat at Taco Bell basically all the time because that's all there was. And I have never like it was like a three week road trip and I've never been able to eat a Taco Bell since. And but you've gone back. You've been able to hit McDonald's again. Well, yes. But the one thing I can't do anymore is Diet Coke. I haven't had a Diet Coke oh. since. It's done for you. Right. I honestly like am embarrassed that I couldn't get through more Diet Cokes and that I was such a baby about it. I thought if anything, like that would be the easiest thing to do. Yeah, no, it's a lot of acid. Yeah. And just a lot of liquid. Like, it's just a lot of, like, where does it all fit? I mean, you know, he's, like, probably, like, weighs three times as much as I do. So, like, me drinking, like, four Diet Cokes is probably the equivalent of, like, him drinking 12. But he's a big guy, and he's only getting bigger. And I think I've heard that he is bigger in person than he even appears in pictures. Like, he's probably has the room for more Diet Coke than any of us do, but it still really is a mystery. Yeah, we've had, uh, for example, we had Parker Malloy on who said that she drinks, she said that was the most relatable thing to her because she drinks something like 8 to 12 Diet Cokes a day. And uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. She was like, no, it, it made me, uh, she's like, we had that moment of bonding between us in that. We all have our moment of Trump. I guess mine was the, oh, the tweeting and yours was like, McDonald's, man, we get it. And, you know, like we all have our moment of like, well, yeah, I do it too, but I'm still not like you. Right. I mean, I really do think that Trump can, is it represents sort of like the worst of ourselves and America in general. And so it doesn't surprise me that even the biggest Trump haters can like relate to him on some level, even if it's just about how gross we all are. <laughs> what a beautiful lesson. Yes. <laughs> I guess one one last question, um, and we pose this to, to most of the folks that that come on, is... You know, through through having to stare kind of the worst of us in the face so often as a as a politics reporter, you know, kind of how do you get yourself through it? Like, how are you managing to kind of not just roll around on the floor all day? That's a great question. I was ha I've been having a day today where I just like want to pull my hair out every time I look at the news or Twitter I think that, um, like, the best thing I can do is, like, not go online and interact with people in person. And it makes me remember that um, even though we are all nasty on the Internet and we have, like, the nastiest president we've ever had, perhaps, um, that people are much kinder when you talk to them in person and that political differences, like, don't actually have to divide us in the way they do. But I still am struggling with it all the time. I, I like, like, every time I have, like, a pleasant interaction with a Trump supporter or something, I'm like, okay, if we can just, like, keep having this discourse, like, maybe I can get through to them in some way. And it gives me, like, a tiny bit of hope. Well, that is, that is very beautiful, the whole article is beautiful. We Just thank you for going through it. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me on the show. How we missed the, the bun thing is a real... I... I have to say that was half the reason I wanted to talk to her because I, I read the article. I got to the point where it was like, and then I took off the buns and I like I read back to be like, what? And then I looked at the various sources that we've cited before and like none of them. That was great. Corey Lewandowski. I bet that was just him calling an audible like in his own head. He's thinking this doesn't sound very healthy. How can I make this sound healthier? He doesn't eat the bun. Helen would have a good thought on why that bun matters. Oh, we might have to do just like a special mini episode where Helen just deconstructs the bun. Oh, for sure. 
It's made me so hungry, Dan, that I obviously I want to shout out to our sponsors at Blue Apron who were ringing in. Oh, no, they are. We're ringing in 2018, and they have a special program now with this thing that's like get healthy, leafy company. Um, and they actually have burgers here, Dan. No, they don't have a leaf next to them, but mushroom and Swiss cheeseburgers. Ah, you know, roasted but sweet I was potato. vegetarian once, yeah? Maureen. Yeah? I'm going to just force my way sure. past this. Uh, when I was in high school, I was vegetarian, and me and my vegetarian friends, we would go to Burger King because you can have it your way, yep. and we would order Whoppers with cheese, no meat. I. That's how you had to order it. And it was delicious. It was like condiments on a bun, and it was amazing. I did a lot of Taco Bell because of that you could get the beans. I've done that. I did that in college. Yeah, I haven't done I that again in a I, long time. But I still have not been able to go back. It's probably been 15 years since I overdid it on Taco yeah, Bell, I, and I cannot. I don't eat cannot. fast food at all. I mean, uh, that's the uh, – and it's not like a righteous thing. It's just that – when I sort of set up my original parameters for vegetarianism and basic healthy eating, I eliminated like fast food in sort of its more traditional, you know, McDonald's, Burger King. And you are talking to a person whose literal favorite thing growing up was a Roy Rogers cheeseburger. I'm still, I'm thinking about it now and my brain can just about conjure up that taste. So, but you know, to fill in in the meantime, one of the things that uh, Blue Apron has uh, that, you that I can have I had you off is this. a roasted sweet potato quesadilla, which is, to be fair, a potato and a quesadilla cost maybe 55 cents. But um, you do get an avocado with it. So that is great. So if you'd like a potato, if you'd like someone to mail you a potato, uh, Blue Apron, they'll mail you a potato. Uh, uh Hey everyone. Whole grain pasta and our, beef. Our theme music uh, is just is performed like by Ted Leo. Um, our logo is designed by Darth. They have the piss cups out again, Dan. So our Facebook group is moderated by Janice Dillard. Um, so you can contact cauliflower cheese says who podcast oh, on Twitter. I mean, I understand or slash says who podcast. And I'm somebody on that has to eat a. Vegetarian cheesesteak, and I'm not eating a cauliflower cheesesteak, Dan. You should you should visit our Facebook group because there is a pretty amazing set of conversations happening about the episodes, about Trump, about fishing in Stardew Valley. Really covers all the basics. Sheet pan deviled salmon. I don't know what that you can is. Email us at hey, that's h e y at sayswhopodcast.com. And you can join us January 24th for our next episode. But Maureen, before you get into another part of the goddamn Blue Apron menu. I just want to know what sheet pan deviled salmon is. You. Because it looks like it's served with a cup of paint. You have a lot going on between now and January 24th, don't you? I mean, you? I kind of do. Maureen, it's a big week for you. It. I mean, yes, it is. I'm so excited for Thank you. you. I mean, I am excited that, because this has been the first time I've been able to really go out. And it's a tiny tour. Uh, this is only three dates, and I'll be doing some others later on. So next week, I'm going to Seattle and Tempe, Arizona, and uh, Denver, Colorado. Give me the dates. Give me the places. Give me the times. I want to know all about so it. So this this leg is going to be on part of something called the Epic Reads Tour. So I'll be traveling with some other authors, and uh, so the and I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I've memorized it. So on Tuesday the 16th, I'm going to be at the University Bookstore in down in downtown Seattle, Washington, 6 p.m. Um, and then the next day I will be in Tempe, Arizona, at Changing Hands at 7 p.m. And the next day, I will be in Highlands Ranch, Colorado at the Tattered Cover at 7 p.m. And then there will be more appearances kind of starting again in March. I'm going to Salt Lake City. I'm going to Katy, Texas. I'm going to Los Angeles. Uh, it's a few other places that are that will be coming up. But, yeah, so next week, I mean, the book comes out on Tuesday and – the book comes out on Tuesday. It does. January 16th. If you're hearing this after the 16th, you can already go yeah, get it. Yeah, you can get it. I mean, 
it's good. I mean, we've gotten I've gotten some nice info today about people seem to like it and it's appearing on some lists and it it's a Goodreads best of January. Yes, it so is. So it's what did they actually I'm so excited for you, Maureen. You are truly kicking 2018 off to the max. That's how we're living it. That's how we hope you're living it. And from my basement in Chicago, I'm Dan Sinker. And honestly, before you dismiss the concept of being mailed a potato and a and a quesadilla, just think of the time you'll save. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. And honestly, it's just earth-destroying amounts of packaging. But by the time I see you again, I will be back from my tours of tales of Washington and Denver in a, a nice hot 80 degrees in Arizona. <laughs> I may get to swim in a pool. And there's not a lot of time, but I will get in that. I don't care if I have to like sort of just stick my foot in it and then run. I'm going to do it. From my, from my closet at Blue Apron, I'm Maureen Johnson. And this has been Says Who? Do you want, seriously, do you want someone to mail you a potato? Because they'll do it. I was, uh, for, a, for a project that I, I'm not going to talk about oh. yet, oh. Uh, but is coming soon. Oh. I've been sharing DMs with you about oh. it, Maureen. I'm You're very excited. excited about it. But I was I was looking at at a at at shipping and fulfillment companies uh, websites, and one of them said, "We can mail a potato." Dan, and they don't even work for Dan. Blue Apron. I don't think. Dan, you didn't tell me that. I just that was this morning. God damn it, Dan.